so that's what Pastor Ford and Sister Ford are doing right now. They are, they are teaching, and they have interpreters, and uh, we believe that God is going to use them, that they would uh, pass on their spirit. It's not just what they teach. It's things that they have in their spirit that God has born within them that they can pass off to other people. It's catchy. This, this thing is catchy. It really is. You know, we've, we've talked in our prayer groups on uh, Tuesday that uh, we need to be contagious. And if we really want this thing to grow, it can start in us. And why not us? Why not me? Why can't it be me? Why can't it be me that sets that chair on fire and that chair on fire and it just spreads through the church and then it begins to spread through the neighborhoods and begins to spread through the towns? It can be me. It can be me. It's, we're just a choice away from that. You may be seated. And, you know, I, I would like to explain something to you. I was talking to Pastor Ford before he left, and uh, we were going over the message. And because I use my phone, there's data on my phone that I, so if um, I'm giving a time frame, which is good for you. Um, so once I hit my, my stopwatch or my clock on my phone, then it goes, and at a certain point, I'm going to stop because I've been just asked to, I have been given a certain amount of time. Um, but also, I have my Bible apps, and we have the sequence of the service written on here. So I forget everything easy. So I jump back and forth on my cell phone, and it may, it may appear that um, I'm reading text messages. Because Pastor Ford said, he says, do you notice that when I'm up there, he said, I'm always checking the time. I said, checking the time? I said, I thought you was just looking at your text in the middle of service. Because you just, you know what you said, you have in your notes, and it's just kind of like, who just, who just buzzed me? Who just buzzed me? So we, we both kind of laughed. But if you see Pastor doing that or you see me doing that, it's because I'm jumping from app to app. And during, and during the course of the service, I have my, my Bible app on my phone. I have a stopwatch on my phone. So if, if, if I have verses that are not, on the screen that I'm going to jump to my Bible app. So I'm not reading texts. I'm not starting emails. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. So let's all stand. I'm going to read to you one verse. And we have now begun. Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You may be seated. Last time I spoke, I kept you up for the whole service. So this time... That's kind of payback. You only have to stand for a minute. But uh, yesterday, my wife asked me, one of the benefits of being married, I, I think, she said, are you going to preach like a caged lion? She said, or are you going to preach like a wrestler and go, rah? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not really sure what that means. I'm not really sure I'm even going to ask because, you know, if somebody else would have said it, I probably would have been like, man, are you mocking me? But it's like, I know what she was saying, but. Anyways, and I thought about that, and I, and, I, and I told her, so well, I'm not really sure because I don't know if I have a preaching style. Not yet. I'm sure I will as, uh, as God develops me. Um, but I guess if, you know, I would like to be known as this, that I would, I would share my experiences with you so that you can grow. I would, it's important that um, you know that other people struggle. Um, so I guess today... In the spirit, this is this is what I, this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna preach like 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 the crazy guy that just doesn't know doesn't know what's gonna happen next and has a bunch on his mind and a bunch on his heart and you know I have notes. The Lord gave me a message last week and I, I put it down on paper and He confirmed it demonstrably about four times within the course of 24 hours. And since that point, heaven has been silent. It's like God telling Moses, uh, Noah, you're gonna go on the ark. I want you to build an ark. And then for 100 years, he doesn't talk to me. He lets him build the ark. But 
What I will share with you is that I have been praying for something different in my life. We've heard it echoed in our grow groups that um, I'm going to be transparent about me. If it applies to you, it's not meant to be me telling you or, for, or to be in any way offensive telling you you either have or don't have anything. I'm telling you what has been the lion in the cage. What's been happening in my mind is there has to be something more in my life that goes beyond what I have now. I, I read some verses in, uh, in the, the uh, lesson that we, we, we taught in our grow group when it, the Bible talks about Mary took a box of ointment and she poured it on Jesus' feast. And then the Bible says that she wiped his feet with her hair. And we've always heard that taught. That that's a, it was a, an act of humility. Um, and after reading and seeing something, and I, and I don't even have the interpretation yet, of, or I don't have the understanding fully of what, those, what that verse actually means, but this is one thing that I did get out of that, is that did you ever think that, so here, here's this woman with long hair, and the Bible says it was a pound, a pound of ointment. And I don't know how much a pound of ointment is, but I know it's a lot because the Bible says that the room was filled with the aroma of the anointment, the, um, the ointment, right? So here's somebody who washes Jesus' feet with her hair. So what happens if this woman even had space to begin to move around the room? She brought that aroma with her. So there was a scent that began to fill the room. Was it because she began to move through the room or was it just such a strong smelling ointment that it permeated in the room? And then there was something else that was interesting. There was a man called Lazarus there. He was in the same room. And how ironic that this happens when Lazarus is sitting at the table, Jesus is at the table. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. If then you continue to read down. So you, you, you get this, this is beginning to happen. And then the Bible says that the Pharisees had sought to kill Lazarus. They hated him just as much as they hated Jesus because Lazarus, was drawing a lot of attention to Jesus, and it says that many of the Jews are being converted. So that was quite the dynamic that was happening in that room. But here's what I know. We're all here here this morning for different reasons. There are some, and I, I think this is where I have been the majority of my life, is when the aroma of the Lord passes by, I'm happy with just the house smelling like Jesus. Hey, Jesus passed by. I, I'm, ta- I'm personally, it's like I'm, I'm personally frustrated with my walk with God because I, I spend time in his presence, but what I need more is the manifest presence of God, where God actually walks in. And, and, and I came here last night to fill up the baptistry, and I was thinking, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm judged by you one way or another. Today you're going to say, yeah, from 1 to 10 to 9, 10, you know, whatever. We all, we all have opinions of each other. But if the Lord does not walk into this place today, if the Lord does not manifest himself and touch our lives, in some ways we came in and it's like, hey, did you see Lazarus was there? Wow, can you imagine being Lazarus? And honestly, I would love to hear that conversation between Lazarus and Jesus because Lazarus was dead for three days. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, Lazarus, how's the last three days been? What happened to you? What was it like? That had to be the most interesting out of all the New Testament conversations is talking to someone who had been dead three days, then sitting across from the person that just raised you from the dead. Wow, that had to be crazy. And then some lady comes in and pours oil over Jesus' feet. But, and if you think of the whole scenario, that house had to be packed because the Pharisees knew they were there. There was people out in the street, and then this lady just comes in, and she pours the ointment on Jesus' feet. So that's one of the things that has been in my spirit that it's like, 
I can't just hang with the aroma of Jesus's, and I can't just hear the good testimonies of my friends and my brothers and sisters and find what good things are happening in your life. I have to get past the Lazarus experience part of this, where it's like, wow, isn't this cool? Did you hear what happened to her? Did you hear what happened to me? Did you hear what happened to me? We have to get past the social club, so to speak. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to hang out any, any place, this is the place to hang out. Because I know one thing, and having lived for God many years, having done well and then having done bad, there's no place like this place and in this family right here. You can't swap anything. You can't tell me that six weeks on a bar stool is better than six weeks in church because it doesn't end good. Hey, I remember the days waking up on Saturday morning and looking at empty Budweiser bottles, and I'm thinking, it's like, I was so good to you last night. I held you when you were cold, and when you were half empty, I got another one. I treated you with the utmost respect, and I drank a whole bunch of you. I spent a ton of money on you. And then I wake up in the morning, my head was going, and it didn't matter. All the aspens in the world wasn't really going to help. Just to repeat it over and over and over and over again. And I could apply that to probably everything in my life that I have done. This lifestyle is better than anything out there. But sometimes we forget. So I have to go past the aroma of the Lord, and I have to get past the fellowship that I have here. And I have to sit at Jesus' feet. And then another thing that I was reminded of, and this isn't even in my message. It was something that I thought of this morning. Um, but I'm still only going to hold you the same amount of time. Church in general, I, I, I have, so I think that God has, is stirring something up in me, and he's saying, you, you can't stay here anymore. You've got to get up and go. You've got you to pull your tent pegs up, and you've got to move from where you are to where I'm calling you. You don't know where I'm bringing you, but you've got to have enough guts to get up, and you've got to do it. You've, you've got to be able to go there. So it's like, okay, God, but even though I don't understand, and it's like, but you do know that you're talking to me. The guy that, that has made so many mistakes, and I, I've, told my, I've told people that I know, it's like I will never be called a pillar of purity, never. I've made too many mistakes in my life on this side of the cross, not that side of the cross. On this side of the cross, I've made too many mistakes, but I can be a window of mercy. I can show you the mercy and tenderness of God because he has shown that to me. But the th- here's the thing. I have heard across, and I think this is, this is a, almost a global position. When we talk about our struggles and we talk about our weaknesses and we say, you know, and we talk about addictions and we say, you know, God can help you with these and he can deliver you from these. And, and if you have sin in your life, look, God can help you. You just need to knock it off, right? So what we do is we kind of separate we separate the story of sin. We put your addiction over here, my addictions over here, things that I gravitate when I shouldn't gravitate to them, buttons that are pressed in my life that God is trying to heal and has healed me. Thank God I, I used to look like an elevator. It was like there was buttons everywhere. You come by me and you touch that button. There I went to the ninth floor. But it's not like that anymore. There's not as many stories in my building and there's not as many buttons to press. But here's the deal. Brother Knight, in his teaching today, which you did an awesome job. You did an awesome job. Amen. But he walked all over something today. And really the things that the Lord has in this message is he was in and out when when he said, man, he just feels like preaching. Honestly, if he would have done it, I would have been fine with that. Because really, we need to follow after what God is doing in his service to get what God wants to give to us, not necessarily stick to a structure. Today, we're going to do we were asked to stick to a structure, so we will stick to that structure, um, I think. <laughs> because 
Maybe the lion in the cage may get out a little bit. We'll have to push him back in. He may want to get out. But here's the deal. You know what? Calvary was your answer and my answer for sin. All of your addictions, it doesn't matter what they are. There wasn't a verse that was read this morning when, when Brother Knight taught about holiness and he, he talked about sin and the flesh. When it references the flesh, it references sin. There's, there's no scriptures that give us this middle ground that we live on. He says we're either following after the spirit or we're following after the, fre- the flesh. So this narrative that you can have something in your life that maybe you're wrestling with and struggling with and that it's totally pleasing to God, but if you have that sin thing. Look, Calvary's all about sin. Calvary's all about destroying the power of sin. In our lives now, our lives now. And I think what we do is we're, we're afraid to come to church and be vulnerable Saying, look, um, you know, I can't let you see who I am because I have sin in my life and I have sin that has taken over my life. And, and if it has, we need to be reminded that Jesus went to Calvary to break the power of sin. Not just those mediocre addictions or things that you can fix on your own. We can't do these things on our own. And we come to church, and we, ha- we have to we put on this facade. It's like, hey, how you doing? Everything's great, right? It's like, yeah, it is. We shake each other's hand, and we think, man, broke out in a sweat on that one when they asked how everything was doing. Hopefully they can't see the mat through the, through the mask that I'm wearing, right? Am I the only one? Man, I hope I'm not the only one. If I am, this may be the last time I ever get a chance to speak to you. <laughs> then something, you know, an, an, that ran through my mind this morning is um, brother, when Brother and I was talking about um, prayer, hearing the voice of God, and the word of God is, is the voice of God. It's, it's spoken. God inspired men to write as they heard from God. They penned it, and they put it in words. But there's another time that, did you ever wonder why it is so hard at times to hear God's voice and so easy to hear the accusations of the devil? It's because God's voice is hidden in relationship. So, if Sunday morning is the only time that we eat, we become anemic. We become spiritually weak, and it just makes it harder for us to hear his voice because we're not hearing it this way, the way that it was designed. What we do is we will come in on a Sunday morning and hope that God will then speak to us this way when his intention all, all that time has been that it would be this way and then confirm from here to there. And there's other avenues to get to this place where this becomes so personal that we know the voice of God, that we can hear the voice of God and be able to clearly separate what God has said and what the lies of the enemy are. So that's just part of it, and I'm halfway through my time, so that's good for you. Isaiah said, Who shall believe our report? And to whom of the arm of the Lord is revealed? And, and I have to tell you, this has been another pacing item in my spirit, something that God has maybe given me, um, given me insight into my own life, yet I can't say I have, the, have all the answers. But if I can bring it up publicly, it allows us for all of us to clean out our pockets and maybe throw some things on the table. You don't have to come to my table and bear what you have in your pocket, what you spiritually have in your pocket. But if in your mind you could, you could build yourself a little table and say, okay, you know, here, here's the things I have in my pocket. And I, I'm going to come clean on some things. And I, and, and I hear it in the conversations that God is stirring something up. I believe that we are not only in a day of, of revival where people are beginning to hunger for God, 
but I believe there is a revival of understanding of scriptures that we have maybe heard a thousand times and always accepted that particular interpretation. And God is saying, yeah, but there was a little bit more. And, and he's stirring something in here and say, are you, are you going to push? Are you going to knock just a little bit harder and so that that shell begins to break that we get the understanding? And I believe one of the understandings of, of that, that God is bringing to us is who we are. We are not second-rate citizens. We are children of the Most High. God has empowered us to reach the world. Everything that we need is in here. Brother Knight, once again, he talked about this struggle again today. He said, hey, there's a struggle inside. Well, there'll be a greater struggle inside if we don't have this happening to hear the voice of God, right? But when we are in fellowship and when we are in communion with him, God can then flow through us to our enemies and destroy our enemies. The Bible says that we are laborers together with God. God doesn't do things by himself. God did creative things by himself. Then he looks into the garden and he says, you know what? He says, I can't do all this stuff because there's nobody there to tend the garden. So what does he do? He puts man in the garden to tend the garden so then God can then create this system. God doesn't do it without us. We say, can he do it without us? Well, in theory, God could do it without us. But the truth of it is, is he can't because he bound himself by his word. Once God says something, that is what it is. So God said, I have to do this with you. So if you think God is going to reach your neighbor and is going to reach the world without you, it's not going to happen. Can your neighbor go to hell without you? Absolutely. Can they go to heaven without you? Nope. Somebody's got to preach the word to them. There has to be this participation. And how does that happen? There has to be fellowship. There has to be a relationship here so that we bear fruit and we reproduce out there. So Isaiah says, who hath believed our report and to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And we understand that the arm of the, the, arm of the Lord was Jesus. Um, if we go forward in Isaiah, uh, verses probably 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, all the way through 10, 12, he begins to talk about how the, this tender plant would grow up and that um, he would be, despised and rejected and that when we look at him there'd be nothing desirable about him and that and as it goes through then it begins to explain that the the arm of the lord would be would be crucified for our sin that he would be the one that would pay the price that we could not pay so we understand who the arm of the lord was and if we look at this verse it asks the question who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed and we have to say that the arm of the lord is revealed to them who believe the report. And what has, and then you'd have to ask yourself another question. And I, I don't necessarily, in looking at this verse, this is almost a verse that could have one of those backslashes through it. Because when it says the, the arm of the Lord being revealed has been prophesied throughout the whole, whole Old Testament and it's very specific, very graphically, very detailed in the book of Isaiah. But then when he says, who has re, re, uh, believed our report? He's referencing the 52 chapters that he has before this. And here is the question. And once again, Brother Knight said this in, in the, the message that Israel would do good for a while, then they would do bad. They would do good for a while, then they would do bad. How is it that Israel constantly heard the word of the Lord, responded, and then went back into their sin? And my question is this, is when do we come to the place where the report that God has given every single one of us, God has spoken to your life, and he said, hey, I've got a work for you to do. I've got a ministry, uh, a ministry for you. You say, oh, it's never going to happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. 
I can't do it. I can't do it. And we, we, we hear the voice of the enemy. We hear the accuser of the brother, a brethren telling us everything that we're never going to be. And the question is, is when are we going to continue to believe the report? And if the report that was believed was revealed, the strong arm of the Lord, if we now have believed this report and we believed who the strong arm of the Lord is, shouldn't now we be believing the report of everything that he said about us? So when God says you can make it, we say, I can never make it. Oh, if you only knew. Finally, no, doesn't even make any difference. Doesn't make any difference who you confess to in here. When you talk to him, you know, I... Once again, Brother Knight said something this morning that just stuck in my mind. You know, and he says, why do we, why do we, something along the lines of why do we feel uncomfortable sometimes maybe in church or talking to each other or talking to the Lord? And I'll be honest with you, when I screw up, I have no problem talking to the Lord. It's you guys the one I'm afraid to talk to. Because I know the Lord is going to immediately forgive me and he loves me. And he views me differently than everybody else. Because the first thing we do when we hear about somebody else's mistakes or their fault is we think of ways of, like, how can we take an inch off of their shoes so they're not so high, right? I'm just asking a question. So whose report are we believing? I want to read just two. uh, If we could go to Isaiah 52, verses 1 and 2. And what I did is I just opened up my Bible. And I flipped through the Bible and I said, God, what kind of report are you, are you giving us? We need to understand what God's view is towards us. So I just randomly opened the Bible in two different places and I put my finger down and I said, hey, look, this is, this is what God thinks of us. So here's, here's just a couple things that the Lord says to us. Now, remember, we're, we're, we're in this battle and I felt that, there, that we as a church and folks in this place, some of you are wrestling with this, maybe at diff- different levels or or. In, in a different capacity. But the enemy is trying to tell you who you're not. God's trying to tell you who you are. And we have to come to the place and say, whose report are we going to believe? This is, what, this is what Isaiah says. He said, awake, awake. Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. So he's already telling him, he's like, hey guys, wake up. He says, wake up. He says, and this is me talking to you he said shake thyself from the dust arise and sit down so he didn't just say stand up and sit down if he tells you to arise and sit you know what he was saying is you have to be laying on the ground he wasn't saying you're already standing and sit down and listen to what I'm saying he's saying you were dead you were dead in your thinking because you weren't believing the report. And it has to be one of Israel's biggest crimes is that God made promises to Israel. They followed him for a while, and then they just drifted off. Because sometimes it seems like God can be very elusive. He speaks to you, and you have a demonstrative demonstration in your life, and then poof, next day you go to work, and it's like the machine still looks the same, and everybody still looks the same, and nothing's changed. And we begin to judge things with our eye instead of listening to the promise of God. And he says, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of of, of Zion. And you know why the Lord is saying, take these nooses off your own neck? Because there's nobody there holding them. Sometimes we hold ourselves captives by guilt and shame and and from our past. But the report is, is the Lord is coming by and he says, who put the rope around your neck? Who put the rope around my He says, just take it, pick it up. And he says, get up, get up. He says, there's nobody holding you down. 
If you keep on going in those verses, he said there was, there was no money that, that sold you into slavery. There was no money that was exchanged. Why? Because there was nobody there that sold them into slavery except for themselves. Whose report are you going to believe? The report of the Lord? Or what the enemy tells you that you're never going to make it. You can't measure up to this. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 43, verses 3 through 11. And I'm just going to read. This is what your God says to you. This is who you are. This is your father. This is your dad. This is the king that runs the kingdom. And in this kingdom, you are a child of the king. See, we always view ourselves in the position of servant. And we will never, ever come out from underneath the position of being servant. The Bible says that we're servants one to another. We're always going to be servants to God. But that is a different service than someone who is sold into slavery that has a rope around their neck. He's our father. Listen to what he says. He says, since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee. Man, how can you say I'm nothing after that? How can you say I'm never going to add up to anything? I don't have any value. Everybody else has more talent. Everybody else has more skill. Since thou was precious in my sight. So how does God view you? Thou has been honorable. And he says, he says you were honorable. God sees you completely different than you see yourself. We need to adopt and we need to graft in God's opinion of us. Not our opinion of ourselves or our neighbor's opinion of ourselves or even the person that's sitting next to you. As much as we want to please each other. Fear not, for I am with thee. Why do I feel alone? I feel forsaken. I felt like God has given up on me. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You are never beyond the reach of God, ever. So if we start putting this picture together instead of just reading it as a singular verse, it's like God knows who I am. He said, I'm honorable. I can start feeling better about myself. I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm looking pretty good today. I think I'm looking pretty good today. He said, I'm honorable. He said, and I don't have to be afraid because he's going to gather from the north. When he speaks things, it's going to begin to happen. He said he's going to gather from the south. And it's going to begin to happen. We have to look at the big picture of the things that God is saying to us. And don't just isolate a verse and say, oh, he loves me. Well, if you just, it personally, if you just tell me God loves me, what does that mean? You know, there ha- you, have to be, you have to be more definitive in relationship to what? Of who I am, what I am, does he love it because I, I, I cut wood better than anybody else? I need a little bit more than just, I love you. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him with my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. And sometimes that's us, right? We come into church and we've got the mask on, but... Man, we're not hearing and we're not seeing. You say, hey, what is it that I'm not hearing? You're not hearing that you are prized, that you have power and authority. When Jesus died, rose again from the third grade, third grade, (laughs) on the third day, 
You know what he said? He said, that power that raised him up, he said, it dwells in you. If it dwells in you, I have to ask this question. Why do we act like second, second-class citizens? Like we don't really belong in this. Is it because of our sin? That he said, I've given you this power to destroy the effects of sin in your life. So it doesn't matter what you're fighting with. God is your deliverer. He is the one that breaks the chains that I can't see. He's the one that can set you free. And he says, everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. So the glory of God is going to rest upon you when he's done working in your life. As God does what he's doing. There's a glory that's going to be able to to rest upon you. You, the honorable one. You, the chosen one. You, the one that he has given ransom for. You, the one that he will call armies from the north and from the south to protect you. Yeah, you. 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 So if you have a, a, a crooked nose and kids picked on you when you were in school or... Maybe you're bald. I don't know. It's not so bad. People pay good money to look like this. But if it affects your image and how you view yourself in his eyes, then it's an issue with God. It's an issue with God. And we have to remind ourselves that his report, everything he said about us is true. The accuser of the brethren, he's the liar. And here's the kicker. I love grow groups. I love girl groups. I believe it's the way the world is going to be reached. Um, and I believe I can prove that. I can scripturally prove that to you, that grow groups are the way to go. We need to be a part of that. And here's the deal. This is why we need to be with our brethren are, because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. And it says so that we can exhort and build each other up. You can't get that by yourself. So if, if my brother comes to group and he says, you know, I've been having a bad day or something, he says, you know, I, I need to be honest with you. It's just, I just don't really feel loved. Well, if he stands in the mirror and says that to himself, he's not going to get the same responses that somebody else may give him that is part of the body. The body ministers to the body, and then the body ministers to the body, and the body ministers to the body. This can't happen without you. And if our, if our view of ourselves is twisted and distorted, how can we minister to each other? Because I think, I can never pray for brother tonight. I mean, he's so good at the piano. He's a great Bible teacher. He's this, he's that, he's that, he's that. It's like, I can never pray for him. But I bet you if you ask him if you could pray for him, I bet you he'd tell you yes. Because we all understand the power of prayer. And we all need a touch from God. It says, let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Oh, let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. That's your God. That is your God. You are not second to nothing in this world. Second to nothing. And I believe as we begin to adapt the identity that is is spelled out for us in the scriptures, that as we pray for us, pray for people, and we pray for the sick, we are going to see more miracles happen. Because you need to understand if that spirit of Christ that raised him from the dead dwells in you, 
And right now you may be feeling like, man, it's just a little spark. It's, it's, it's not even a fire. You have to get really close to see that there's a coal burning. God wants you to know it's still enough for him to do something with it. And how he views you and how he sees you is far different than how you view yourself. Let's all stand. Now, I didn't get a chance to even really, I didn't even get into the scriptures of my, my, my message, but I hope that somehow, just a knocking on the door, that maybe the door opened, that you will begin to realize how special and how precious you are. And it's not in, what we do is we still rest in our abilities. We say, you know, if God will just show himself to me, then uh, let me become a better uh, piano player. It's not your skills in this world that identify who you are. It's your relationship with Jesus. And you will notice that your life will show incremental improvements as you enhance your relationship with Jesus, not as you get better here. The things that get better here in this world, they become blessings of your pursuit with God, then trickle down. When we read the, uh, the declaration, I believe that is so true because those things are benefits of believers. You see, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that, that Jesus, in the book of Isaiah, when he refers to, to Jesus, it says that his kingdom would be, his government would be upon his shoulders. His kingdom would have no end. Basically, what he was saying is that there's a king coming, there's a king coming, there's a king coming. If you read the Gospels, the Bible says that in the end, the kingdom would be preached in every nation. The government of God. But in that government, he has servants. The king tells the servants what to do, and the servants do it. They manage everything that the king has. We would call them lords. That's where we get the word landlord from. So you, you, so the king has lords. So if he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, if I have become a lord and you have become a lord, what are we? We are managers of earthly property, domains, places that God has given us authority in. In that, there are benefits. So the king says, if you are one of my lords and you are overseeing a particular place and have been given dominion, then the sign that you knew that you had a good king was how well the servants were taken care of. Do you remember, was it the queen of Sheba? When she came to and she, she saw Solomon in all of his glory, when she went back, what did she say? She says, wow, even his servants, they're taken care of. They're really cool. So the king was judged on how well the servants were taken care of. But in our case, we're servants that are related to the king. My dad's the king, and I still get to be the servant, so I can ride the horse if I want. All of the benefits of the kingdom are given to us because we are now related to the king. There's nothing held back, nothing held back. You know, go through the New Testament, and the Bible talks about the good news of the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. What was the good news? And yes, good news, the gospel means good news. But the good news was that the government of God came. That we now have access to that government through Jesus Christ. So Jesus himself was not just the good news. Yes, he was. We kind of hit it by default. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said it. What he was saying is that Jesus came to reveal the government of God. And the Bible says that he didn't teach anything other than the government of God. Why? Because God has one way of ministering to his people. 
But what we lack in this world, in this generation, is understanding who we are. We are sons and daughters of the King. You are precious in His sight. Now, we'll open the altar up. And it's it's not a confession, but I guess it can be. But if you need us to pray for you, then we'll lay hands on you and ask God to to help you to see. Because the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. This doesn't happen overnight. That's why I believe what I said before, that this is, I believe it's it's a revival, it's a revelation that we have to start getting this. It's like, you know what? I am who he said I am. And you know what? Sometimes it just takes a reckless faith. You say, I don't feel a thing. I didn't either. But I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna I have to make a choice today to believe one of two things. Either I'm nothing or I'm something. God keeps telling me I'm something. And because I've been around longer than most of you, I've had a chance to see a lot of things play out that you haven't seen yet. And one of them has been about 40 years of God never, ever failing me. I was like the children of Israel. God brought me out here to die. And I, I don't know if I've shared this with you. Now that my memory's shot, I think I may say the same thing every time I get up here. But I, when I was backslidden and I had I left the Lord for a lot of years, I used to, I was I was so full of pain uh, when my wife met me. I think it was uh, I don't know. I, I'd buy a thirty pack on Thursday. I mean on Friday night, and then on Saturday afternoon I'd buy another thirty pack because it wasn't enough to carry me through the weekend. And then, you know, we'd get home from work and light up a joint just so the house had that awesome smell of bun, right? And I remember uh, being so empty inside. And again, it went back to the days of holding that bottle, you know, being met at the door because everybody knew who we were when we went to the particular bars. They saved the seat for us because they knew we were going to be there. Rules. If the beer is cold, I mean, when the beer is half empty, bring me another beer. I don't like drinking warm beer. But I was so unhappy on the inside that I would close my eyes and count for 10 and I told God I said you don't even have the guts to kill me you don't you don't have the guts to kill me you know what he did well you know he didn't kill me right he didn't he slowly put a hunger in my heart and reminded me that yeah there was issues when you were in church amen thank you Jesus there may be issues here there may be issues in this building there can be issues with your brothers and sisters but the benefits here being here outweigh everything that's out there so I remember I remember uh, and I was separated I got divorced left my family my family still stayed going to church and um, I would I'd have visitations on Sundays um, if I could get up even to go to them and I, I started to get so so empty that I wasn't going out every Friday night anymore because it just became too easy, too empty. And it's like the taste in your mouth lasted you the whole week. And then you're disappointed in yourself. You're hating yourself. And it just escalated and escalated and escalated until pretty soon I just said, you know what, I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to stop smoking. And I'm going to stop doing those things because of the emptiness that was inside. And I still hadn't even made my walk back to God. But my children were going to church. Pastor, uh, our brother Hanson, who preached here probably about a month and a half ago, was the pastor of that church at that time, and my kids were there, and my ex-wife was there. And, and what I was doing is I was showing up there, showing up for church, 
because I just said, well, I can grab my kids right after church and it would give me more time with them, right? Which really wasn't the case. I still only spent a few minutes with them and then I took off. Um, but I knew that in my father's house, that even the servants, a bad day in church is better than a good day in the world. And I said, look, so I remember Pastor uh, Brother Hanson coming up to me at the end of the service and he said, uh, he said, Chris, if you'll stay on the operating table, he said, I'll work with you. And he says, you can call me when you want whenever you need me and I think for the next two years it felt like hell like the gates of hell had just had uh, opened up but it wasn't what I didn't understand is that God was beginning to heal me but he was saying hey look there's a, there's a lot of bruises and a lot of wounds in you you have so much infection in there so God almost had to bring me to this place of put me in a semi-coma so that he could actually operate because it was triage at that point I was hemorrhaging blood everywhere it was terrible. You know, I, I came into this experience broken, just a wreck. I felt the call of God on my life. I got my ministerial license. I ended up losing that because I didn't pay my bills. It wasn't because I did anything wrong, which I made up for that afterwards. I had offers to, to be assistant pastors in several of the churches in this particular district, even, even towns that don't have churches anymore. I could have took them. But I knew there was something broken, and I said, Jesus, I'm like the woman at the well for 12 years. I've been hemorrhaging and bleeding. I can't believe that you truly love me. It, it just wasn't working. I, I didn't believe it. But when I told other people that Jesus loved them, when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon me and I would give somebody a word, I felt it. And over time, a little bit began to stick. The Lord would talk to me. And I, I mean, look, I, you guys know I'm, I can be a little bit intense. I, I, I may be different than most people. And I guess I've, had, I've even I've gone to doctors. It's like, why am I always so loving? Why am I always so intense? find out that it was a real deal you know get blood work done and they say well you have three times the adrenaline as the average person it's like great that's why you know I go out and party it's like how's the guy jumping up on a table dancing on top of the table how's the idiot but I was just I was just wired so tight but I thought something was wrong and it's like God you gotta be able to help me you have to be able to change me and then slowly God began to talk to me about issues and I asked the Lord this was my one of my dark secrets. It's like, why am I so different? You know, we go to business meetings and they do those personality charts. They have like four of them. Then they have one that's even more defined. It tells you who you're best to work with. And it's got like 20 blocks. And the guy that's in the middle, you never want to be the guy that's in the middle because the guy in the middle is the one with the extreme personality. Well, who do you think gets put in the middle? Me, right? I said, Chris, you're the guy right there. And so here I am in a room of 30 other managers and, and you know, amongst all my peers and they had the one telling me that, you know, you're, you're way intense or too intense. You know, you need to lighten up or, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do everything yourself. And I'm like, great, now I'm embarrassed even more. But, um, so I would ask the Lord, it's like, why am I so different? And the Lord woke me up one night. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I woke up and I felt the presence of the Lord in my room. And I knew, despite the fact that I got up and decided I was going to pray for a while, I knew that it was a time of visitation. This was not a, hey, Chris, let's talk. This was a, Chris, I'm going to talk. So I talked for about an hour. I prayed, and I, I, I talked to the Lord, and, and I felt like the Lord said, are you done? And it's like, yeah, so I sat up, and it's the only time in my life, the only time that I have ever had a conversation. God talks to me, and he'll tell me something, but it's usually a sentence, a couple words. Sometimes it's even one word, and you can talk about it for hours and hours. God just 
just expands when you get the understanding. So I asked the Lord, I said, so I had prayed, God, what, what, is so, what is so wrong with me? Why, what is so wrong? What is so bad? Why, why am I this way? Why are the desires that I have so much different? You know, I want to be a rock star. I would have sold myself to the devil. It's the reason why I can't sing and the reason why I can't play the piano. I honestly believe that's a blessing. Because if, if somebody would have came and said, hey, I'll put you up on the stage and all you got to do is do this, man, I would have done it in a heartbeat. You know why? Because nobody else understood me. My life was so full of pain that the only expression I had was through music. So my parents, my brothers and sisters were bands like Poison and Kiss. I associated to that. Now, you may not like them, but we're not talking about flavor of the ice cream. We're talking about what did you, what I associated with. So the Lord woke me up and he told me this. He said, your mother passed on to you the spirit of abandonment. And he showed me on a changing table. And the Lord began to, with my mother grabbing my legs and just pulling me side to side on the table. He said, you weren't the girl that your mother wanted. Now my mom was put in a basket when she was a baby. Her mom knocked on somebody's door, took off, and whoever opened the door was the one that raised my mom. My mom looked for, my mom's 80 years old, still looking for her mom. It's like, mom, you've got to just give this up. And so, and the rumors are that her mom is dead, but my mom's still in her heart because the spirit of abandonment, feeling like you are all by yourself, that you are alone. So, and the Lord said, and because of this, taskmasters came into your life. And the Lord began to give me visuals of, of like, like this Egyptian man with a whip. And he says, and what, what happens is when you let these taskmasters into your life, they come into your life and then you close the door to protect yourself, but now they're in there with you. And the same door that those taskmasters fall, walk through is the same door that God walks through. And I, then, and it was a long conversation. And I said, I said why, why are you not talking to me about my father? I said, my father's a real beauty. Have you guys ever met my father? He's different. And, uh, and the Lord told me, he said, until I heal you, of the issues of your mother, he said, I can't even talk to you about your father. And then the Lord began to explain to me, he says, because the mother is responsible for the emotional well-being of a child. So when a child is really, really small, mom puts something into that child. And then the child grows up a little bit more. And we're talking, you know, from infant to little toddlers, that then dad then puts something into that child. So if the first part of it's broken, get it to the end part. God doesn't shortcut. So I said to say all that, that well, I'm not really sure where I was going with all that, but other than what I experienced here, even during tough times, has been better than anything I experienced. Because I don't know if, if I ever had anybody that didn't let me down or that didn't hurt me. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And, not, and people don't mean to be mean and cruel. But if I'm broken, I can't help you get fixed. Not in this, not in this world. It doesn't work that way. This is not, oh, we cracked a two by four, let's cut it out and put another one in. Only God can do those type of surgeries on our hearts. But you know what? You're not out there by yourself, and it's a process. God didn't fix me overnight. Someone once told me 10 miles into the woods, 10 miles out. It's like, look, you, you, you spent a lot of years being messed up. Give God some time to unmess you up. And it does go faster when you participate. When you understand that that pain that keep on coming into your life is the hand of God. He's saying, it's me. I'm touching some of those sensitive spots. I'm pressing those buttons. And you've got to 
even in your fear, you have to say, okay, I'm going to trust you. But if you believe his report, he will do everything that he promised he's going to do in your life. I promise you, regardless of what you see with your eyes, if you believe his report, it's going to happen. Jesus.